Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I am Joe Devine. I am here today joined as usual by Alex Stewart. Hello Alex. Hello. I don't know if I'm allowed to say as usual, it's only our second one back isn't it? But so far you're 100% a success rate. I mean it's as usual given that when we did do the podcast prior to and then during the World Cup it was mostly me. That's true. That's true. So we've we've just sort of gathered the hems of time and moved on. It's week two, the 10th of December, uh, and we are going to talk about two different football-related things that happened uh, last week and over the weekend. The first will be Chelsea-Manchester City. There's some interesting tactical stuff to explore there. The second is the appointment of Ralph Hasenhutl. We touched on that uh, like, no, we didn't. We touched on Mark Hughes last week, didn't we? Mm-hmm. And then in the days afterwards, everything I think happened. I think when we were recording, it was being rumoured that Hasenhutl would take over, but I don't think it was confirmed until later on in the week. Yes, I think that's right, isn't it? Okay, well, we're going to talk about that as well, with, with the caveat that he hasn't managed since he was at RB Leipzig, where he sort of followed uh, Ralph Brangnick's uh, philosophy, let's mm-hmm. call it. And uh, he's only played one game with Southampton so far. So we're going to talk about it anyway, because why not? Because we're going to speculate wildly about what may or may not happen. I think think if you listen to the podcast regularly, you'll find that we jump the shark here, but we don't on the YouTube channel. I don't think it's really jumping the shark. I'm going to jump some sharks. Okay. I'm going to say Southampton are going to win the Premier League. Excellent. Let's start with Manchester City versus Chelsea, uh, I, don't, I hesitate to call it a surprise result, although it was. I mean, a 2-0 victory, it really makes it look like a, a conclusive win. Alex, we were chatting about this outside earlier. You made the point that Manchester City had an excellent first half. Or, you know, they were a little bit unlucky. But there was a couple of interesting tactical tidbits that I wanted to ask you about because I didn't understand them when I was watching it. The first was Hazard being played up front. Mm. Go ahead. So Azad was played as the central striker, and of course, because he's a midfielder playing as a central striker, immediately everyone calls him a false nine mm. because that's what one does. And why uh, is that wrong? It's it's not really because I thought that it's not really wrong. It's just I suppose the point I'm making is that the deployment of Hazard in that role. To me, and this is in terms of me watching the game, was less about what Azard was doing mm. and more about the selection that was required to play Hazard there. I will explain what I mean by that slightly convoluted way you of saying should, it. Because you said it in a very convoluted <laughs> way. I said it in a rather silly way. So what I mean is that making space for others. Right. Making space for others literally in terms of who you can fit in the team. Yes. Not making space for others in terms of how you relate to it. I ended up saying that in a convoluted way right. as well. Oh, how do we say so this? Well. Hazard was picked as a striker because they wanted to put him in the team because he's the best player, but they also wanted William and Pedro. Right. That's the best there way of saying go. it, isn't it? That and was why easy. did they want that? So Chelsea pressed awesomely well. Their defensive system was really, really good and really, really interesting. And... William and Pedro are arguably two of the best wide players uh, defensively in the league. I would say William is absolutely kind of an all-time defensive great in that sense. Pedro is... Sarri's already acknowledged that Pedro is his most important player without the ball. Again, that's to do with the pressing. So by selecting Azard as a, as a central striker, a false nine, that allowed... Sorry to pick the other two players and that allowed him to set up Chelsea with a particular shape and a particular style of pressing. So the pressing started with the midfield 
And one of the things that I noticed that was really interesting was that as Man City sought to break the press by getting one of their central defenders to carry the ball forwards, the midfielder of Chelsea that was opposite that central defender would rush up quite high and the wide player would drop out and across. So what they were trying to do was prevent City from passing the ball through uh, vertically, which is quite a kind of a standard way of doing it. But the aggression that was coming from either Kante or Kovacic before he was replaced by Barkley and then by Barkley once he was on was quite unusual because what that does is it creates a really sort of staggered midfield line. Mm. But they'd obviously worked out that if that happens, then the centre-back, generally speaking, is going to kind of turn on themselves and either pass it back to Edison or ship it out wide. If they ship it out wide to the full-back, you've then got Pedro or Willian, who's able straight away to engage the press. The pressing as well was not aggressively kind of man-oriented, generally speaking, apart from the full-backs pushing up quite quickly onto City's wide players. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, what they were doing was very cleverly (coughs) marking the passing lanes. And Azard actually wasn't pressing an enormous amount. He was sort of tending to loiter between Edison and Fernandinho to cut that passing lane off. Well, can I ask you, obviously you say Azard's the best player on the pitch, or best player for Chelsea. Um, Yeah, Uh, well, best best attacking player, most important attacking player. Most important player, okay. What can we infer from him being played in this position? Because, you know, on the one hand, you you might say um, that Pedro and Willian are the the best options in terms of uh, passing, pressing, potentially more defensive wingers when they're asked to be. Um, Another way of looking at it, and I remember watching Azard's interview after the game, he was asked about what it was like to play there. And it wasn't negative, his response, but he, he, he highlighted the fact that it's difficult to play without the ball and it was something he had to adapt to get mm-hmm. used to. And he can do it, but he made it sound like it wasn't his favourite position. So in, in a way, we're acknowledging anyway that he's, his, some of his attacking ability is being sacrificed by being played in the position that he was. Is it more about getting those other two players on because, generally speaking, all on their best uh, Pedro and Willian are going to be better at pressing than Azard is, or is it because Azard doesn't do defensive work in the way that to, to his full capacity? What what is it is it is it is it an effort or is it an ability thing? No, I, I think I think it's an ability thing with uh, with Pedro and Willian. They are especially good at this. Yeah. Um, Pedro is especially good at it because he was a Barcelona player for donkey's years, so yeah. pressing to him is kind of second nature from that position. Uh, and he understands that. Willian, I don't know because I don't. I don't think you know Shakhtar didn't press enormously. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I thought you were, you no, were no. trying to get me to stop for something. So we're, we're we're recording in our office, and a, 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 a large man really sneezed loudly yeah. or something. Um, yeah, Willian. I mean, I. I I don't. I, I'd be lying if I said I'd watch Shakhtar when William was playing. I don't think he even really played in in um, uh, on, on the wing, did he? Uh, I honestly, I don't know. I, I'm fairly confident I'm, that he played in in the centre as a number. Could 10. well have done. Mm. Um, so where that ability comes from, I don't know, but it's definitely there. Mm. Um, I think it's also worth saying that that Chelsea. I mean, it's really unusual for a sorry side not to dominate possession. And I mean, Chelsea were, I think, from memory around somewhere between 36 and 38% of the ball, which is 
pretty tiny for particularly for Sarri, given that that's not how he likes to play. Thirty nine percent. Okay, so. One of the things, though, that they were able to do from time to time when they were trying to break the press, what they were doing was they were looking to switch it quickly rather than go vertically. Mm. And, of course, City would come forwards onto the ball, typical City. I mean, you had John Stones trying to challenge for the ball almost on the edge of the Chelsea penalty area at times. That did give some space for that front three to then run into. So when they were able to attack in the rare occasions where Chelsea were able to counterattack a bit then it was kind of geared up for Azard's dribbling and moving forwards. Obviously, he set up Kante for the goal, although arguably mm. that's not really kind of false nine play. I mean, that's that's sort of where Azard would be if he were playing in his normal position anyway. Um, so I don't, I don't think it was 100% about what else Chelsea were looking to do. Um, but yes, I mean, to a degree, Azard's attacking was sacrificed it worked though. Mm. They won. He got an assist. Mm. So let's 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 talk about uh, the first goal scorer then, Kante, because he was mm. also he was also a man of the match. And there's been some uh, there's been some questions around Sarri's use of of Kante. Obviously, Jorginho uh, has come in um, from Napoli along with with Sarri, and he's playing in that sort of deep lying midfield role. He's pulling the strings from the deep, and Kante is being asked to play a slightly different role uh, than last season. Very different season role. Before. Okay, yeah. very different role. Um, and something that supporters are not used to seeing. It's an interesting one because if we look at you know Chelsea over the last couple of seasons, aside from player like Hazard, Kante, I mean, is clearly you know the most important player in that team. So to bring in another player, I mean, it, it speaks volumes about uh, Sarri's belief in his own philosophy mm-hmm. in terms of how he wants to play. Can you can you explain <laughs> to me a little bit about how Kante how his role has adapted? If you say it's a, a big adaptation, how has that happened? And his role, particularly in in this game, because it seems to be working on the results uh, we see so far at times. Yeah, I think it's a almost to take your last point first. I think what's very very interesting about this is that Kante is the best kind of screening defensive midfielder. You know, sitting as a six in front of a back four, possibly in the world, mm. and Chelsea particularly Chelsea in the sort of 4-3-3, even 4-2-3-1 kind of era, since I'm guessing Abramovich took over really, probably even before that. They, they've they liked to have that sort of player with then, you know, kind of a box-to-box type of player alongside them. Mm. And, and you know, the role is named after Claude Makaleli, yeah, who was a Chelsea player. So... In that regard, I think there's a lot of this sense of, well, hang on, you've got the best player in the world at doing a particular kind of thing. Mm. You're asking him to do something that is not that thing. Therefore, there must be an issue Mm. that that this is weird. Why would you do that? That's what I think. Right. And to a degree, that makes sense. But it only makes sense if you want that player in that role. If that's not what your system is about, Mm. then what I would be looking at is what else is Kante good at? So, or... To put it another way, in order for Kante to be the best screening midfielder in the world, what does he have to be able to do? Well, he has to be able to run a lot. He has to be able to anticipate what's happening. His positional awareness has to be really, really good. He's quick as well. Mm. So presumably that doesn't mean... It's mainly the smarts, right? Right. That I mean, with, mean with, that that kind can... of, just that, that, with that kind of role, that defensive role, yeah. particularly if you're left on your own lot, filling in for fullbacks who've gone forwards, 
is is it i mean presume obviously there's a, an awful lot of physical ability required yes but it's it, it makes sense to me that it's mainly about uh, his intelligence yeah it's ma- uh, to me it's about positional awareness and anticipation reading of the game yeah so he needs to know now he's lucky because he's because he's physically so uh he's not really quick but his stamina is ridiculous mm. so that does I think allow him a little bit of compensation if he does get it wrong, but he doesn't often get it wrong. What Mm -hmm. he's able to do is sit at the base of that midfield and basically see what's going to happen. And if you're a step or so ahead, the number of times he will then be there to make that interception or to make that challenge, that's, that's not because he just runs backwards and forwards all day long. That's because he can see what's happening. He can see the move developing. Mm. And then he puts himself in that position. Now, so Sarri at Napoli had Jorginho at in the base of that midfield because it's more of a creative role for him. And that is, I think, more kind of well-known for Italian football anyway, to have that, that playmaker at the, the base of your midfield. Next to him, he had Alan Alan. I'm not, I'm not sure how you say it because it's a Brazilian name. But, I think it's I think it's Alan. But that's the role that Kante is playing, and it's partly it's about pushing back and up. It provides defensive cover on that right hand side to a degree. It's also about dropping in behind the fullback if the fullback pushes up, or tucking in alongside the inside forward to provide a passing option there. And it's a more dynamic role. Now, does that mean you're missing out on Kante's ability to break up play? Yes, a little bit, but he is still able to do that. Mm. But what you get instead, and this I think is what you saw in the Chelsea Man City game, is that intelligence, that reading of the game is then deployed partly in an offensive capacity as well as a defensive one. Mm-hmm. So obviously Kante scored his goal with a kind of late arrival towards the top of the box, which was found with a pullback by Hazard. Now, that kept happening, partly because Silva wasn't tracking his runs all that well, but also because if, if you watch the, the first 15 minutes of the second half, there's one where Williams fouled, there's a couple of other examples, you keep seeing Kante making that run. And it's a deep run, it's a late run, and he gets into a dangerous area and he's unmarked. Mm-hmm. And that is a result of him being that sort of player who who can anticipate where to be at the right time, not just because he's then intercepting a pass or breaking up an opposition move. Mm-hmm. That intelligence can be used in an attacking sense as well. So I, I think it's working well for Chelsea. If they concede goals, straight away, the, the kind of more reductive football commentator is going to go, oh, well, you know, you've got the best defensive midfielder in the world and you're not playing him defensively. So, of course, you're going to concede goals. Mm. That's what I'll say. I think that's just a, a, a rather silly way of looking at it. Mm. One other question, more specifically on Chelsea. Uh, David Luiz, obviously, we're mentioning him really because he scored the other goal. Um, from I think from their only corner of the game as well. I Possibly, I can't, yeah. I can't recall. Um, but uh, the point was made on the, 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 the punditry after the game. The various highlights shows that uh, the goal wasn't the only good thing that he did that game. And there were various examples of his sort of long diagonal crossfield passes out from the back. Is that something, again, is that part of the Sarri system in a game like this? Is, he, is, is David Luiz being told to provide um, long passes for players up there waiting for an out ball to get out, break the press? Or, or is that something that, you know, his Hollywood ball that he's 
that he's a fan of doing regardless of whether you tell him or not. Yeah, it's really tricky to answer that, isn't it? I mean, that... basically I'm asking you, do you know what they said? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, there was there was one particular pass out to William on yeah. the right-hand side where he kind of almost seemed to hit it with the outside of his foot and it was mm. just awesome. Um, I don't know, is the honest answer. I, I think... The way that Man City tried to break the press was clearly different to the way that Chelsea did it. So Man City tried to break the press by a lot more uh, vertical movement and passing, whereas Chelsea tried to switch the ball, get enough space for one of the defenders to try and hit it long, either Luis or the fullback. So I would say, yes, it probably was a deliberate ploy. Okay. Having said that, it's the sort of thing that he tries anyway. So Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. I think think Rudiger had a really good game alongside him. Okay. And I think that it's... When Luis brings, and I remember when we did the three four three video, and Luis was kind of that spare man pushing up into midfield, the sort of almost a libero kind of player. Mm. Um, and his defensive qualities have always been the bit of him that won questions, particularly in the the game against Wolves. Yeah, was it Wolves? He came in for a lot of stick for that. Whatever their last game was, I mm. think it was Wolves. Um, the amount of difference that it makes to have a player like Rudiger, who is much more of a kind of solid, functional, mm. win the ball in the air, make tackles player alongside you. Yeah. Rather than who's giving you confidence and and I think the back four helps with that because Luis probably doesn't feel as much of a requirement to push forwards. Mm. I think Chelsea have got a much more solid back line now. A lot of people I saw raving about Aspilaqueta's performance, which I thought was a bit odd because I think actually he didn't do all that well. I mean, Sané literally sat him on his ass at one point. Okay. Um, there was a lot of interesting movement as well between Sterling and Mares, who was playing, again, like they were both playing the striker role and swapping in and out. Well, let's get to City, because <clears throat> the obvious question, and this is the thing that you know is asked every time Manchester City lose a game at the moment, um, and really it's a testament to what an incredible side they are, is is this, you know, is what Chelsea did in this game, is what Sarri set Chelsea out to do, is that now the blueprint for how yeah. Manchester City are defeated? And I saw, you know, there was discussion about this online after the game and people, some people were saying, well, look, this is this is just how a side sets up to play. This is the obvious, this is, this is the kind of the 101 for how to beat Manchester City. A little bit of luck and lots of skill in terms of uh, the players that Chelsea have at their disposal is the... Um, is the reason that you know, the result went the way it did. I wanted to put that to you. I mean, do they do anything, with the exception of you know the Azard thing, which we've discussed in depth, is there anything that Chelsea did in this game that will be a signal to other teams in the league, say, oh, that works, that hasn't been done before, that works, or is it just a good performance? Mostly I'd say it's just a good performance. Um, I think Chelsea had a number of players specific to Chelsea that were able to do those sorts of things. And I think the, the I'm talking obviously here again, particularly about William and Pedro, but also the defensive uh, performance was so well organised and so thoughtful and the the repetitive actions that were required, you know, the pressing triggers. And you could just see by watching that game how well drilled they'd been in those pressing triggers and the mm. amount of effort. I mean, Kovacic 
barely did anything other than running around trying to win the ball back. Mm. And you sort of feel like you need to have a certain kind of mentality and, and buying into what the, the coach is asking you to do to fulfill that. Um, is it a blueprint? We know that City can be unsettled by a high press mm. um, because Liverpool did it. Um it's clear that if you cut off certain ways of passing, um, that City then are... Like, City are brilliant, right? And and if they can attack from any kind of direction and anywhere on the pitch, they will. Mm. So the first thing that you have to try and do is work out, exactly like Atletico Madrid used to do against Barcelona, if we can only get them to attack in one sort of way, then it makes it easier to thwart that because we've only got one type of attack to deal with. Right. So let's funnel them out wide, fullbacks push up and snap in, and and maybe we can stop them that way because we can stop them across the rest of the pitch. And that was what Chelsea did. It's not a blueprint because, A, you need to be really bloody good at that for mm. it to work, otherwise they'll expose you. B, there's nothing new about pressing, unsettling, unsettling that Man City side, it again, it's about how well you do it. And thirdly, City were still by far and away the better side in the first half in terms of dominance of the ball, creating opportunities. Mm. So if, particularly if Sterling had scored from the cutback, which was a difficult chance because there were quite a few defenders around him, but then I think it probably would have been a very different game. Mm. So I... I think saying like, oh, okay, well, if you do this, it's like Lyon playing five at the back with two in midfield. And I mean, okay, it worked in that one game, which is a very specific set of circumstances. There isn't a way to beat by default Man City, mm. but pressing is more likely to unsettle them than anything else. What it does mean, of course, is that Liverpool are now top of the league. Yeah. And I mean, for all of our discussion about how and I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say how incredible Manchester City are as a football they team. They are incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Liverpool are top of the league. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, it's nearly Christmas. Yeah. That's no fluke. No. This, no. Is, this is exciting. I think it is exciting. And I think that... Liverpool are top of the league. Liverpool have shown... I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of Jurgen Klopp. I think he's a superb manager. And I think I kind of get a bit annoyed with the focus being on Pep versus Mourinho all of the time, because actually... I, well, that seems absurd at the moment. Well, it, it, I mean, it seems absurd at the moment. And yes, obviously, historically, because of particularly around Real Madrid, Barcelona, there is a bit more of a thing going on mm. there. The sharp edges um, of the transition, I would say, in terms of football tactics generally. Right. But, mm. and and I, obviously, there are also, there are more similarities similarities between Klopp and Guardiola than there are between so I, so I can understand from a narrative perspective however in terms of who is the challenger in my opinion to Guardiola as the best manager in England it can only be Klopp at mm. the moment Sarri possibly well I mean what about a word for Pochettino I mean the Spurs are only five points behind Manchester City I, I'm, I'm talking about as as a kind of career whole the person who has proven over a period of time that they have the capability to win things that's that's Sean Dyche but that's also 100% Sean Dyche <laughs> how dare you not mention it oh uh, yeah um well no Burnley are in free fall this season so um 
it yeah to me Klopp is kind of he's he's the guy who could establish a kind of a school of doing things that in 15 20 years time the the two influential coaches will be talking about will be Guardiola and Klopp oh I Klopp think. college sure Klopp, Klopp college Klopp college mm. why not Pep school Klopp college um so what he's done partly is this sort of slight easing off of the pressing uh-huh. um He's been a little more comfortable tweaking the midfield balance. Yeah, um, it's made them more functional, uh, but it's made them a lot harder to beat. I also think it cannot be overstated how important the recruitment of Allison and Virgil Van Dijk have been, um, because they're they're not conceding, and you know that's because they've bought a brilliant goalkeeper and a brilliant centre back. You think about you know the laughs at the time seventy five million pounds for Virgil Van Dijk. Yeah. Well, Seems like a you ask anybody who saw Van Dyke at Celtic or Southampton <clears throat> and say, you know, is he one of the best centre-backs in the world? Absolutely, unquestionably. Even in a Southampton side, mm. he looked absolutely brilliant. Um, and if that's the £75 million that potentially buys you the title, is it worth it? Yes. And he's not just, you know, he's he, to me, he's probably, I mean, yeah top three centre-backs in the world in terms of being able to do everything well. Okay. Um, That's pretty impressive. Yeah. So <clears throat> they've they've got that solid foundation now. They've got a spine that they can build from, which is what any team needs. He's started to incorporate, particularly recently, Fabinho's been playing a bit more, Shakiri's been playing a bit more. Um, you know, there's, there's a, a depth to that. It felt maybe a little bit last season like, there wasn't sufficient trust in the players that weren't your kind of default starting eleven, mm-hmm. and he's now showing that a <coughs> bit more. And I think Liverpool are reaping the benefits. Okay, uh, we haven't left that much time to talk about Hasenhutl at Southampton, so let's that's do that fine, now. Though, well, because that's sort that of so. appropriate. Uh, they lost to Cardiff City, a team who I forgot were even in the Premier League. <laughs> 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 Southampton currently, uh, that's a little joke for Cardiff City fans out there, oh. a big fan. Um, uh, Southampton are currently in 19th place, 16 games, 9 points earned. Hasenhutl, according to BBC Sport, is taking some positives from the defeat. What would those positives be, Alex? I don't understand. Um, but also, how positive are you about... <coughs> Excuse me, that's an early morning throat for you right there, isn't it? How positive are you about his, his takeover? I mean, we were excited last week. Uh, I was excited partly because I, I love the guy's name. Mm. I love his work. I loved his work at Leipzig. Yeah. Um, You've got similar hair as well. Similar hair. He's also tall, I hear. Yeah. There we go. Um, but, Another uh, tall guy, a good guy, with, as Jürgen Klopp said. A tall guy, a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, someone could write that on my gravestone. That, mm. would, be, that would be fine well, with me. the tall bear. Tall guy, guy. It's How about that? Reasonable. Um, I'm excited because I, I, I always like it when, a, when a, um, a, a German or Austrian coach comes to the Premier League because I think they're going to do something exciting. You know, uh, it's, it's going to take a while for it to bed. And obviously we talked about doing a video earlier and you laughed at me and said, we have to wait. We have to wait. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Yeah. Part of the reason being, as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, um, his time at RB Leipzig was obviously kind of overshadowed by Ralph Rangnick, who was there before him and after him. Um, and whose philosophy he maintained throughout that period of time. So in terms of us being able to understand what his personal philosophical approach to football will be, it will take time. Did you pick anything up 
in the Cardiff City Southampton game. It's obviously very early, but what did you think? Yeah, um, so who he, is he? Who is he? Who is he? With? Who is he? I mean, he's a tall guy. He's a, he's he's a, a tall, tall guy. guy. He's a good guy. He he played a sort of four three three, but really, no, really, who is he? I mean, he was. I mentioned he was. Oh right, okay. Oh, okay. He was at Ingolstadt before that, right? Yeah, and and prior to that, um, I think he was someone's reserves coach, mm. somebody in Austria, like. Wacker Innsbruck or someone. I, okay. I I don't I don't know really. Um he had a kind of journeyman career as a striker. I think he got some Austrian caps. Okay. He never really like he I mean he had a long successful ish career as a professional footballer, but he was never amazing. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, he's really only had two jobs that have given him any profile, which was getting Ingolstadt promoted and then keeping them there into the, the Bundesliga, which was a significant achievement uh-huh. uh, and then the RB Leipzig job where he did well with them in Europe uh, they so moved up the table why were you excited? so there are two reasons why I'm excited the first is that from a footballing perspective <clears> and <throat> this is with the caveat exactly like you pointed out that at mm. Leipzig you know Ranić was a significant influence on on certainly team philosophy, maybe even selection, who knows? Mm. I mean, he didn't leave the club, did he? He became the director of football. Exactly. And and their recruitment policy, which is superb, was driven by him. Um, so it is a little difficult to gauge. Having said that, they were great fun okay. and, and they were really enjoyable to watch. They pressed well. They were interesting tactically. There was stuff going on there that was worth looking at. Yeah. Is the second reason that your father finally told you he loved you? No, 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 that's still not happened. Oh, okay. Um, the <laughs> second reason is that Southampton have, I mean, particularly with the Hughes appointment, but on and off, really, I, I suppose, never, they've never really shown after Pochettino that there was a specific plan in place, that there was some sort of long term thinking. And Kerman was able to come in and basically be. Poch 2.0 in terms mm. of tactics. Um, Poch 0.5 in terms of results. Yes, to a degree. Then then you had two managers who had very different styles, neither of whom were really given any time to bed in. Mm. Um, then you had Hughes to come in as a firefighter, and it all felt like a who club. Was the, uh, who was the other one other than Claude Puel? Uh, Pellegrini. Oh, God, yeah. Um, or Pellegrino. I can never remember which one it is. Sure. Very kind of dour, <clears throat> you know, like defensively super well organized. But yeah. it, but again, it was it was less about them as individual managers. And I think Puel's actually really good. But it was more that there didn't seem to be an idea of trying to establish a style at the club, particularly a club which has had quite a strong sense of style prior to that point. Mm-hmm. Um and a club that had appeared, especially with Pochettino, and he wasn't there for very long, but it was kind of, it was part of the sense that we, you know, we were a well-run club. We were using particular kinds of, of analytics and scouting. We had a really good academy set up. Do you we, remember when Southampton were promoted to the Premier League and they dropped, what was his name? The manager, they hired Pochettino the, in after promotion yes and it was very unusual was i mean and by the end of the season everyone was delighted mm-hmm. and i can't remember his name i can't remember either i wrote a song about him <laughs> okay this was the, at the time was this five years ago six years ago i mean southampton southampton have had some really like whack managers in i can the last not, nigel 10, 15 years 
Nigel Adkins. Nigel Ad- Adkins, that's right, yeah. That song was called Nigel Adkins, King of the South Coast. One of the few goalkeepers that's made a transition into management right. rather than goalkeeping coaching. I remember thinking at the time it was a very odd thing to do, to be promoted. Um, in fact, wasn't it consecutive back-to-back promotions for Southampton? I think it was, but then again, that sort of... But um, under, well, under one manager, incredible success under Nigel Adkins, losing him... In the summer of promotion, replay. I mean, again, retrospectively, what a great decision. Um, it's but. also worth noting that to get a better win rate than Nigel Atkins for Southampton, you have to go back to... I'm looking now, this makes... You have to, you have to go back to Alfred McKinn, uh, who was the manager between August of 1896. No. <laughs> And May of 1897. According to uh, Wikipedia, the win percentage of Nigel Atkins is the best otherwise. Now, yeah, okay, that's League One and the Championship with... A the best team, for over 100 years. A team that that was, you know, clearly too good, particularly for League One. So there's a there's a pinch of something there. But at the same time, mm. that's, that is quite impressive. We should make a video on that. Not the win percentage, why they fired him yeah. uh, after promotion. That's interesting. Okay, well, listen, uh, specifically on the Cardiff City game then, yeah. as I said, any individual elements that you picked up that were that were worthy of note? Huge, a huge amount of movement in midfield. And so I said they, they were sort of 4-3-3, but really, aside from the defence being fairly obviously the defence and Romeo sitting in front of them, uh, Lamina, Hoiberg, the two kind of inside forwards, Armstrong and Redmond, all moved horizontally and vertically an awful lot. Yeah. So it was very unfixed. It was very flexible. Austin was also drifting wide right and wide left quite a lot, mm-hmm. particularly when there were long outballs from the back. Um, so that created a lot of actually really good interchange. They they looked like they were playing confidently. The you know, that's a technically very capable set of players. And they did feel like, particularly under Hughes, that that was sort of hampered and maybe they weren't confident in expressing themselves. Mm-hmm. That was definitely gone. Um, the pressing was chaotic because... Well, it would be, presumably. Exactly, I mean, yeah. yeah. And, and, and Not even a week. I mean, what, a, three days of training under right. him? There's a, there's a difference between... Pressing is not when that guy near me gets the ball, I run at him. Like, it, it kind of is that. But That's how I press in the office. Yes, it's very intimidating. Mm. Um, but, you know, obviously pressing relies on triggers. It's a question of, are you shutting a passing lane or are you going to the man? What are those things? So Southampton were a little more kind of harem scarum chasing the ball, chasing the man, running down the touchline with the man and not putting a tackle in it. A bit annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, that will develop and improve, but the work rate was there. What was glaringly obvious again is that we don't really convert our chances, which has been a problem forever, uh, and we don't have a good centre back. Um, I mean, the the error that was made for the Cardiff goal was embarrassing, um, and you kind of look at who the other options are. You know, Bednarek, Yoshida, Stevens. Hurt Vestergaard, none of them, 
none of them inspire confidence. So while it would be great to buy Christian Pulisic and or Ander Herrera, as mentioned earlier, yeah, I'd I'd really like a good strong centre back who doesn't piss about. I think most clubs would like a strong good centre back that doesn't piss about. It seems to be quite possibly, plan. but that's the point I'm making is that the rest Are of the excited, squad though? is really good. Stop, yes, stop making points and tell me are Southampton going to survive relegation? Yes. Hello. Okay, that's a TIFO stamped prediction, and if it doesn't happen, Alex Stewart, you're going to lose your job. Uh, okay, that's the end of today's podcast. Thank you so much for everyone uh, for listening. Um, thank you to our new channel members, as we mentioned on podcast the other day. Mm. On, on podcast the on other podcast. day. On podcast. As we mentioned on podcast the other day, um, we have uh, opened a channel membership on YouTube. Uh, for a small fee, you can support the channel every month, which is Fantastic. Thank you to everyone who's doing that so far. Um, and it also gives you access to various exciting perks, one of which is a cool badge next to your name Very in the comment cool. section. So other people can go, you're, you're an important person. Yeah. Yeah? You're an important person. In a circle. In a circle. Uh, the other thing is that you can look at our faces as we podcast. And as I say that, I look directly into the lens of my camera and I make eye contact with those watching our faces at home. Now, of course, some people have said, Hey, Joe, that's something that you'd have to pay me to do. Well, <laughs> that's true. But other people have enjoyed... <laughs> <laughs> you were doing so well mm, with that. I was. I yeah. was a long time. And then... I've got a bit of a cold. <sighs> yeah. Uh, but yes, thank you so much for, uh, for all of our new channel members. And indeed, everyone listening to this podcast. Uh, we've enjoyed it the last couple of weeks, haven't we? It's nice to be doing it again. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're finding our feet in terms of the format. Today was very much a, a sort of weekend thing. Last week was more of a specific club thing. Mm. I think it's just going to change like that. I think it might be a bit uh, choppy. But if you like tactics and uh, you know you like cool guys if with great personalities, like you've definitely come to the wrong place. Yes, I that, mean I think that every day we can't really. Yeah, mm. you, don't, you don't like football. Either. No, I quite like tactics. I quite. I mean, I'm, I'm excited by it. Um, I suppose that's all there is to say. If you have any questions for next week, please uh, don't slide into Alex's DMs because when God, he said no. that last week, it was a real mistake. Absolute error. Uh, incidentally, uh, become a chan- channel member and learn all about the books that uh, Alex uh, is reading. Um, we'll probably start doing that in the free one as well. Mm. But uh, yeah, thanks very much for listening and uh, we'll see you again same time next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.